As uh, we mentioned, we're back into our series in Romans, courtroom to living room, and we cover chapters one through four before Christmas, and now picking it up in chapter five. And I want to give a little bit of a recap. Actually, rather than me do a recap, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different to kind of get us caught up to make sure we know what's happened up to, to Romans chapter five. We are going to take a test. So grab a piece of paper, a little pop quiz, uh, there's sermon notepads in front of you, take off a piece of paper, you're going to need it. Uh, we have a pop quiz to see how much you have retained uh, since Christmas on our study of Romans. It's multiple choice, all you got to do is choose a letter, put it down there, and by the way, if you fail in this service, you can come back to the 11 o'clock service, retake the test, all right? Those poor people who come to 11 o'clock, they have no chance to retake it, but you do. So here we go, five questions to see how much you have remembered. Here's question number one. Before I placed my faith in Christ, God thought I was A, more good than bad, B, a little misguided but essentially fine, C, obedient, D, sinful, excuseless, rebellious, and condemned. Okay, so just choose a letter, write it on your piece of paper there. And uh, then you'll be ready for the second question. Here we go. Second question. By the way, the choices are a little bit different on the letters, so make sure you pay attention. It's a little, a little trick of the trade, making sure you're staying awake and you're not guessing on letters, because that's what I used to do. The Jews figured they were immune to God's judgment and anger because they, S, did more good deeds than bad deeds, T, believed God exists, U, had a special relationship, possessed the law, and were circumcised, or V, observed Mother's Day, I'm sorry, Passover, Yom Kippur, and Mother's Day. <clears throat> okay, choose your letter. Third question, here we go. Who has perfectly kept God's requirements in the law and never sinned? Some of you were here the week that Susan preached. Is it Z, Billy Graham, A, Susan Garlinger, B, the Pope, or C, nobody? Next question. I can be made right with God by J, reading my Bible, going to church, giving money to the poor, and doing more good than bad and being a beaver van. <laughs> now, for some of you in the room, that's a trick question. All right, so think about your answer. K, putting my faith in Christ Jesus. L, a lot of different ways. M, serving in the nursery with 12 screaming babies while keeping a smile on my face and repeatedly saying, praise the Lord, <laughs> praise God. All right, last question. My faith in Christ has justified me, which means, P, I no longer have any guilt before God, Q, I'm in right standing before God, R, I'm at peace with God, or S, all of the above. Okay, got it? What's that spell? If you got them all right, it spells ducks. All right, come on, people. Come on. It was a good week. It was a good week for duck fans. A good week for you because you got them all right. And now you're caught up. <laughs> all right, here's where we've been. Oh. 
Here's where we were in, in, in Romans 1. We, we, we went to the courtroom. We went to the courtroom and understood that, you know, God's wrath is being revealed. His wrath is being poured out and that humanity stands condemned before him. And, and when we hear that message, we think we're not that bad of a person, that there's other people worse than us. And, and so we sort of excuse ourselves. And God is telling us, he's in Romans 1 and 2, that we're without excuse. He's not talking about the other people. He's talking about you and me. And then there were the Jews who thought, well, that's everyone else. We got a special relationship. We got the inside track. And Paul's telling the Jews, no, this is everyone. Everyone deserves God's wrath. And then we learned in Romans chapter 3 the good news that we're saved. And this salvation is so deep and rich that Paul uses all kinds of language to help us get to understand the dimensions, the full dimensions of it. He talks about us being justified, using the language of the courtroom. He talks about us being redeemed, using the language of slave market uh, trading there uh, in Rome. And then he uses the language of the temple and says we're atoned, our sins have been atoned for. And then he uses the language of accounting and says righteousness has been deposited or credited to you. And then we find out in Romans chapter 5, now we're going to hear some new language that describes our salvation. It's the language of relationship. Some of your translations talk about us being reconciled. And the New Living Translation says, we become friends of God. You've you got to see this. See, we were condemned, now we're saved. We were unrighteous, now we're righteous. We were enemies of God, now we are friends of God simply by putting our faith in Christ to accomplish so rich and so deep a salvation for us. And that's where we have been. And in Romans chapter 5, what's going to happen is we're going to take our first steps into the living room. Walking out of the courtroom into the living room. Now, years ago, Trina and I were, uh, were on a trip to Hong Kong where my parents were serving as missionaries, and we, we made a trip, uh, on that trip, made a trip up to Beijing, China with our four kids to, to visit China and see some of the historical sites up there, went to the Great Wall, went to Tiananmen Square, and went into the Forbidden City. The Forbidden City is this huge city in a city. It's uh, 980 buildings in the Forbidden City. The, the size of it, it's kind of hard to get your head around, but 17.8 million square feet. That's the, the size of the Forbidden City. It's where the emperors of the dynasties of China lived. And the, the emperors, you, you couldn't get into the Forbidden City or you couldn't get out of the Forbidden City without the emperor's permission. And so we, it was really, uh, it's pretty cool to be able to go in this forbidden city and we walked through gates and walked through courtyards and saw artwork and carvings and uh, throne rooms and uh, it was, it's pretty amazing. Here's a picture of, just to give you some size, size, sense of the size of a courtyard. I mean, it's courtyard after courtyard that, uh, that has size like this. And as we kept going in, our kids were younger at the time and, you know, it starts, it starts looking all the same for them. And uh, they're ready to call it quits. And we go through like the fifth courtyard into the Forbidden City. And what we see next surprises us. It, it just kind of shocked. It just didn't seem to fit. I mean, it, the Forbidden City is this cultural, this historical place where the emperors live. You couldn't get in, couldn't get out. And, and China was closed for so long. It just seemed weird that this was in the middle of the Forbidden City. Here's what we discovered as we walked in the next courtyard. Starbucks. Starbucks in the Forbidden City. 
Now, before I was converted to Stumptown Coffee and bought all my coffee at Broadway Coffee House, I used to go to Starbucks quite a bit. So uh, we went to this Starbucks, but there was just something that didn't feel right about Starbucks in the Forbidden City. It, you know, it'd be kind of like, I, I guess, kind of like going to Mecca and, and going to the heart of Islam and discovering a Christian bookstore there. And you just like, what? How did that get here? That's exactly how it felt with the Forbidden City. How in the world did that get there? In fact, in, in recent years, uh, the Chinese have actually booted Starbucks out of the Forbidden City because it didn't feel right to them either. It, it just didn't make sense that it was there. As we take our first steps from the courtroom into the living room, one of the reactions that we might have is that same idea, like, what is that doing here in the living room? Because maybe you've heard that once you're in the living room, you won't ever experience this. Or maybe you've heard that if you experience this in the living room, you've done something wrong and God's punishing you. And what I'm talking about is suffering. Suffering. Because what we're going to see, we're going to read the first 11 chapters of Romans chapter 5. We've gone in the courtroom, we've stood there, we've heard all the bad news, then we've heard the good news. And it's like, oh, finally, we're in the, in the, in the living room. And then Paul's going to say, here's the first thing I want you to know. <laughs> suffering. What is that doing here? And we're going to attempt to answer that question today. So get your Bibles, Romans chapter 5. Open it up to that if you would and stand with me. I'm going to read, and if you'd follow along with me, that would be uh, great. Um, I'm reading in the New Living Translation. It's the Pew Bible there, uh, page 1782. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, you're welcome to use that one. Here's Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they, they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. <clears throat> so, welcome to the living room. You've gone from the courtroom to the living room, 
And when you get there, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I, 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 I like this. This whole passage makes great sense. Well, we were right with God. We got peace with God. The hope of sharing in God's glory someday. And this whole idea of trials and tribulations and suffering sort of just doesn't seem to fit. What, what's, it, what's it doing there? And uh, we're, we're going to answer that, that question here in, in a little bit. Uh, several months ago, uh, Matt Swain over at the Broadway Coffee House tipped me off to a pretty cool little device. It's called the Eviltron. Uh, the Eviltron is a small little speaker about that size. It's got a magnet on the back. Uh, it kind of looks like a bug, you know, like a little spy bugs. Uh, it's programmed to make like five different sounds. Uh, and they're kind of creepy sounds. Uh, my, uh, my favorite one is a, is a whisper that says, Hey, can you hear me? And, uh, and, and so what you do is you just you take it, set it to that setting, and you can hide it with that magnet attached to something, and people hear this whisper, and it freaks them out. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and so we, I, I bought a, a few of them, and uh, Cal... Uh, Cal, my, my, uh, my youngest son, he's a, he's a senior in high school. He's had a bunch of buddies over, and they're going to play video games, and they're going to do Xbox all night long. It's a Friday night. And so they're down uh, in, uh, in the TV room doing it. And so I take the Evotron, set it to that setting that's going to whisper, and I put it in the, the bathroom because I figured, you know, they're going to use the bathroom sometime tonight, hopefully. <laughs> and, um, and I put it in there, and it, here's the deal. It goes off randomly, like once every four minutes. Um, and, uh, and so... It just so happens that Cal is in the bathroom when, it's, when it goes off. He's uh, at the sink, and he hears, Hey, can you hear me? He's like freaked out, like, whoa. He doesn't know what to do, so he just ignores it, walks out of the bathroom, goes back, and keeps playing video games with his buddies. Doesn't say a word to his friends. Um, it's Saturday morning, 7 a.m. I'm up, and I walk down there because they're all packing up to go home and sleep now. And uh, I say, how was your night? And, oh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Mr. Fowler. And Cal said, yeah, it was great. And so I go in the bathroom. I pull it off from the back of the toilet, and then I put it on Cal's bedroom lamp, right back next to his, next to his bed, because he's going to bed, okay? I'm sitting at my computer. Cal has gone to bed. Five minutes later, uh, he walks in, in my office, and uh, his, his face is just white. It's like, Dad, did you record something and put it in my room? No, I didn't record anything, because I didn't. Um, and he's like, I'm, I'm hearing someone ask me questions. Like, really? What are they asking you? And uh, he's like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. It happened last night. I was in the bathroom. And, and, and I was like, here, let me show you what it is because I did it. And I show him the evil tron. He's like, Dad, that's just wrong. I, I know. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I've used it at home. I've used it here at work. Uh, we... <laughs> My, my daughter was spending the afternoon with us, and I, we just carried it around the room wherever she was. And she was hearing it, but she would never acknowledge that she was hearing it. But you could see the look at her, in her face like, what's that? And Trina and I just keep talking because Trina's in on this too. You know, I'm not the only one. My daughter's going home. We put it in, the, in her car. She's, uh, seriously, she's driving home, pulls over on the side of the road, calls us. We have her on speakerphone. Uh, she said, Dad... That, I was hearing voices in the house, and now I'm in the car, and I'm hearing voices too. Either you're messing with me, or I'm possessed or something. And we're like, ha, 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 this is awesome. And she's angry. Here's the, here, here's the deal. 
You know, depending on your perspective, something can be so funny and you're just like, you're just so enjoyable, or it can freak you out. It's like, what in the world is this? It just all depends on your perspective. And when we go from the courtroom to the living room, we get over here. If we walk into the living room and think that because we're in the living room, there's no more suffering, if that's our perspective, we're going to get freaked out. We're, we're going to think that perhaps, well, God stopped loving us. Which is why in Romans 5, he's, he's telling us over and over again, he's poured out his love into our hearts. He loves us. You're no longer going to be condemned. But if you have the wrong perspective on the trials, on the hardships, on the pressures of life, you might get freaked out. If you have the right perspective, ah, then you'll see that there's something else going on and you won't panic and you won't freak out. So Paul is going to help us understand what's happening. And he wants to tell us early on so that we don't think that God's given up on us or we don't come to some false conclusion about our suffering. So right away, Romans 5, 1 and 2, welcome to the living room. Now you're in right standing with God. Now let me talk to you about suffering because you need to know something. In my Bible, I've underlined the phrase, and I believe it's in verse 3, where Paul says, we know that. What Paul is saying here is that we know he has adopted, he has taken on a certain perspective about suffering. We know that we have to have the right perspective on our suffering. And I just want to hit the pause button here real quick and, and, and tell you a, a couple things. One, if you're here today and you're experiencing pain, and maybe you feel like you're, you're, you're bleeding internally because of trauma you've been through or in the past or this week or even this morning, I do not in any way want to minimize the reality of your pain. Because that's not where Paul's going. This isn't about saying, just pretend it isn't happening. No, that, that's not the case. So if you're here today and you're frustrated with life, or you can't pay your bills, or you've lost a loved one, or you've just gotten the diagnosis, or what, whatever it might be, or you're, you're dealing with some pain from the past, I want you to know, Paul is not going to minimize our pain. He just wants us to understand our perspective on it. And also I want you to understand that the guy who's writing this letter to the church of Rome is not some fly-by-night preacher who's never suffered. This guy has suffered. He knows what it's like to be in pain. I mean, he's faced mobs. He's been whipped. He's been thrown into prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's floated in the ocean for quite some time waiting to be rescued. He's gone hungry. He's been cold at night. This guy knows suffering. So we can listen to what he has to say, understand that, that he's got some perspective on this that we need to listen to as we deal with our own suffering, whether it's yesterday's suffering, today's suffering, or something that happens in the future. And so Paul jumps in as someone who has suffered, someone who doesn't want to minimize the pain of our life, to give us a fresh new perspective of the purpose of suffering in the living room. So he begins in verse 3 and says... This word that makes some of us chafe, rejoice. Well, what are you saying, Paul? Am, am I supposed to like, oh, my car broke down on the way to work. The engine blew. Praise the Lord. Yeah, this is awesome, isn't it? No, it's not awesome. It stinks. In fact, 
It's horrible and it's going to cost. That's not what Paul's saying. You know, or, or it's like, oh, praise the Lord. They found tumors in my body. Oh, that's what I've been praying for. No. Who, I mean, who thinks like that? That's ridiculous. Yet some people read a verse like this and say, rejoice in my suffering. That, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying jump up and down, clap your hands because you're in pain. That's ridiculous. He's saying, literally this word is more often than not translated, take pride in or boast. Take satisfaction in. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 9, uh, Paul is talking to the poor, and the, I mean uh, James is writing to the, the poor and the rich. And he says, those of you who are poor should boast in the fact that God has honored you. Those of you who are rich should boast in the fact that God has humbled you. See, life in the kingdom is a little bit upside down. <laughs> you sure you want to be a Christ follower? Because it's different. And that's that same word rejoice. It's translated boast or take pride, take satisfaction in. There's something going on here that you can, you can rejoice and you can take, you can take uh, uh, satisfaction in. Rejoice for we know that. We, we have the right perspective on our suffering. We can take satisfaction and have the right perspective and know that when we hit the wall of suffering and we have the pressures of life squeeze us, that they help us develop endurance. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate endurance. I sound just like that little baby when I have to go and make, get through endurance. Actually, I like endurance. I just don't like the work it takes to get endurance. I don't, I just don't, I don't, it doesn't feel good. I, several years ago, we were, uh, as a staff, some of us on staff were running a half marathon. Uh, it was my idea. I went and, and talked to Stumbo, who was our lead pastor at the time, and said, hey, we should run a half marathon together, kind of build team. And, and uh, so we're, we all got to build a base of, uh, of stamina. So I'm out at Bush Park, and I'm running laps out at Bush Park, and I'm like in mile two, and as I'm running, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever thought of. Why am I doing this? I hate this. I don't like running. I don't like long distance running. Why am I doing this? This is horrible. A couple weeks go by, I'm back out of Bush Park running, and now I'm at mile four. I'm like, I hate this. I don't like running. Yet each week as I ran, I was, you know, <laughs> kind of complaining at mile two. Then I was complaining at mile four. And then mile seven, and then by the time the race comes, as I'm running the race, I'm, I'm running 13 miles and, and crossing the finish line and feeling pretty good that we made it. Made it. It's, pain, it's painful. Suffering and hardship and pressure. Man, when you have a kid that's hurting, or you have a relationship that's breaking, or, or you're in, in some sort of personal trauma, it doesn't feel good. It stinks. It It sucks. I don't know if you can say that in church, but we'll find out next week. You know, I, I don't It's horrible. But take satisfaction in the fact that having the right perspective, that this will build endurance. Because here's the reality. When we hit suffering, we come to a fork in the road. One path will lead us to bitterness, hardness of heart, and potentially even walking away from God. That is one route you can go once you've gotten to the living room and you're shocked that you're in pain or you don't feel like it's fair. You can go down that road. Or, or you can go down another path 
and put one faith-filled foot in front of the other, and yes, it's painful. You know, it really is okay to say, God, I do not like this. You can even be angry. But what we see from the scriptures, even the Psalms, it's we land in a place of trust and say, yeah, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and know that you're going to use this for something. You're doing something. I'm going to endure. We come to a fork in the road and we can go down. We have done that. We all have, we all have gone down that path of bitterness and hardness of heart. And we have to back up and go this way and endure. And then Paul says, we're in the living room. We're experiencing this, these sufferings. We're, we're taking satisfaction because of our perspective, our accurate perspective on our suffering. We build endurance and then we develop strength of character. I want to make sure you understand what Paul's saying here because some people think that, well, if you just endure through your suffering, then you'll, you'll, you'll be more patient. You'll, you'll be more loving. You'll be more understanding. Just think of all the people you can minister to through, through your suffering. And some of those things are true, but that's not the point. That's not what Paul is saying here. And by the way, for me, that's a bit encouraging because that's not very motivating for me. I'm not motivated when I'm in pain, when I've got a son lying in a hospital bed wondering if, if he's going to be okay. Uh, you're not motivated when you're in pain by the fact when someone walks up to you and says, but just think of the bright side. You're going to be more patient. No, leave the room, please. I don't want to hear that. What Paul is saying is not that. Yes, those things may happen. What he's saying, he uses a word. It's the word dokimos in, in, in the Greek. It's the word from which we get our English word document, which in the Greek, it means a stamp of certification. It means uh, that this is a, a mark, a stamp saying that you or this is genuine. So you know like you buy something and you want to make sure that this is not some copy or some fake? You look for the stamp of certification. That's documos. So what Paul is saying is that we've gone from the courtroom to the living room. Rejoice with the right perspective that your suffering will build endurance. And when you put one faith-filled footstep in front of the other and you endure, God stamps you with documos. It says, you're the real deal. You are the real deal. You have put your faith in me. You have put your trust in me. You are stamped documents, which why, that's, which tells us why the next phrase, it says, and this character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. What's Paul saying to us? He's saying that we will stand before God, stamped documents, And we will know that we have endured and we've been faithful. And that will cause hope to rise in us. And it goes on to say that this will not lead to disappointment. You will not be disappointed. Yes, it is brutally tough to deal with the suffering of life. I mean, it is tough. The pain is real. The the sleep is lost. The, The worry wants to break in and... And burglarize the, the peace in your own mind. But as we put our faith in Christ and we endure and we finish, documents, you're the real deal. And hope should rise in your heart because when you stand before God on that judgment day, He's going to look at you and say, Well done. You're documents, you're the real deal. 
And when we're in the suffering, we wonder if we can put that foot in front of the other. We wonder if, if there's something else going on. Have we messed up? And it's, it's not that you've messed up. It's what God is doing in the living room. And that's why Paul goes on to say things like, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. This isn't some fragmented thought. What he's saying is, you know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. He died for us. Meaning, when you were the least bit interested in him, he put plans together to save you. And if he can do the hard thing of saving you, when you weren't even interested in him, don't you think he can do the easy thing and help you endure, and by his spirit, help you finish, stamp you documents, so that hope would rise, confidence would rise in the fact that you are a son or a daughter of his and he will not let you go. You're not suffering because he doesn't love you anymore. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You may be going through trials and pressures because what he's doing is something else. He's expressing his love to you. And that's a little bit weird for us. Thomas Akempis wrote these words. I'm going to read them slow because it's hard to get your head around it. Akempis says this, the more the flesh is wasted by affliction, so much the more is the spirit strengthened by inward grace. And sometimes he is so comforted with the desire of tribulation and adversity for the love of conformity to the cross of Christ that he would not wish to be without grief or tribulation. No, that's a perspective. That's a little bit like King James Version, so let me just read it one more time to make sure we get this, okay? Because what he's saying is that God so works through suffering that it's almost like I just desire it because I love being conformed to the image of Christ. So let me read it again. The more the flesh is wasted by affliction, so much the more is the spirit strengthened by inward grace. And sometimes he is so comforted with the desire of tribulation and adversity for the love of conformity to the cross of Christ that he would not wish to be without grief or tribulation. Uh, Gary Thomas, uh, author in one of his books, gives us uh, uh, maybe a newer perspective as far as language goes. He says, ask yourself this question. Would I rather live a life of ease and comfort and remain immature in Christ, or am I willing to be seasoned with suffering if, by doing so, I am conformed to the image of Christ? Do you hear what they're asking? Are you willing to walk this road of endurance that stamps you dokimos, not minimizing our pain, because the pain is real, But are you willing to walk that path so that God can get his hands on you and conform you to the image of Christ Jesus? And many people turn away from their faith when they hit suffering because here's what they think. They think that when they gave their life to Christ, they left the courtroom and went to the living room and there's like this spiritual shield that goes up and they'll never experience suffering. And, and it's like uh, they've gone from the courtroom to the living room because God's main objective is to populate heaven and, uh, and to give you a new destination. 
Church, I want you to hear me crystal clear on this. This is a wonderful blessing that we will live in eternity with Christ forever. But God's goal was not just to change the destination. His heart for us is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ and suffering and trials and tribulations are the vehicle from which this happens. And if God can do the hard thing and save us, then certainly he can do the easy thing and by his spirit and by the life of Christ in us, walk with us even as life stinks. It it isn't because he stopped loving you that you're hurting. And sometimes it's hard to have the right perspective. I'm telling you, it is hard. Because for some of you in the room, uh, the suffering has been years. You're way past training for a marathon. This is like, this has been like 60 years. Come on. And for others of you, it was this morning, and you're like, oh. Let me just close by asking a couple questions. First question. Have you gone down a path that's led to bitterness, hardness of heart, maybe even to the point where you feel like, man, enough of this. Is that where you are today? Based on something that's happened today or maybe something that's happened 20 years ago? I want to I ask you something. Could you put it in reverse and back back up and overlook the offense, forgive, and choose to go down the other path? I know it's hard. Believe me. See, this is the path where God wants to get his hands on you and conform you to the image of Christ. Can you let that go? And if you're on this path of suffering because of something that's happened maybe this past year, years, a variety of circumstances whatever it would be, the pain is real. And it's not like you don't ever stop thinking about it. it it's, it's not that, that, that the grief isn't still there. That's not the point. The point is, can you put one faith-filled foot in front of the other and endure? Because if you do, I want you to know you're on a journey of God going, Dokimus, she's the real deal. He's the real deal. Can you keep going on? Because as you do, as you live out life in the living room, God uses that trial, uses that hardship, uses that grief, uses that suffering to get his hands on you, to shape you, so that you will be a little Jesus and become just like him. That's his heart for you.